Welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about a badass human who also happened to do science. So today is one of those fun episodes where the research unveils stuff that is a complete surprise, at least for me. And I can't say too much more than that because I don't want to spoil it, but we've got some really fun stuff today and an awesome surprise for you on both our main feed and our Patreon this week. Now, Brenna, have you listened to the surprise? I mean, I can't say too much, but have you listened to it? Mm-mm. Okay. I well, don't know. you're going to love it too. I'm very excited about it. And I'll tell you like a little bit more about it, like at the end of the episode, but then you'll all just have to wait for what drops on our feed this week. Because speaking of our feed and speaking of Patreon, let's deal with weekly business. So yes, Patreon is going to be busy this week with mini episodes galore. Well, one mini episode, but it's a really good one. And you can find us there at BA and Science. I'm also including links to that in our show notes and show description. So you'll be able to find it very easily. There's lots of mini episodes over there and you can get regular episodes early and ad free and all that kind of fun stuff. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at BA and Science. So if you've got something to tell us, tell us there. Um, wherever you listen, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, follow, like, whatever it is. Not just so that you can get in, like, a notification about new episodes, but so that other people know that we're good to listen to and can find us because that makes us feel really good. Oh, and you can email us too at science at gmail if you have anything to tell us or suggestions for, I don't know, BAs or whatever. So without further ado, do we have any addendums from last week before we get started? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think we pretty thoroughly dealt with the fact that we could not outrun a polar bear. Right. But I don't think there are any guesses after our episode last week for this week, so... Oh, I had a guess. I had several guesses. Oh. Um, the one that I will mention is once again, Ashley S., who is killing it this season with her guesses. She correctly guessed who our BA is on the first try. So, wow. yes. Well, and she did Google it, which I told her. She's like, well, I Googled it. And I said, that's fine. We don't expect you people to know all of this. But yeah, the but still was apparently good enough. No, your clues are always good. Your clue was apparently direct enough that it only took like one Google mm. for her to find who, who we're talking about today. So, mm -hmm. so nicely done. Nicely done, Ashley S. It was full of puns. It was, uh, it was so full of puns. They all are. That's what you strive for. So I think we're ready to get started. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Then let's take a quick break and we will get into it. Brenna is on the bio this week. And I'm excited to learn about our guy this week because we I've done some some extra stuff for this episode that I don't normally do, uh, including a Patreon episode, which I will talk about at the end of our show today. But I need to learn about our BA first because I've done a very deep dive into a very specific topic. So Brenna, give us our quote and tell us about our BA. If clouds were the mere result of the condensation of vapor in the masses of atmosphere which they occupy, if their variations were produced by the movements of the atmosphere alone, then indeed might the study of them be deemed an useless pursuit of shadows, an attempt to describe forms which, being the sport of winds, must be ever varying and therefore not to be defined. 
But however the erroneous admission of this opinion may have operated to prevent attention to them, the case is not so with clouds. Very nice. So who said that? Mm. Dude who I've never heard of until, you know, now, named Luke Howard. Yay! So we're talking about Luke Howard today. And um, what can I say about good old Luke? Well, um, not much. (laughs) because no seriously I didn't really find a lot about him I feel like there should be more in-depth bios but maybe he wasn't just overly I mean he wasn't spicy he's not like episode one spicy he's not at all like episode one spicy he's more like Ruth in our episode two yeah yeah we've got some more like actually very studious people here in this season I feel like who you know what some of them some of them Anyway, and definitely Luke, because I wasn't Luke a Quaker. Yeah, I'm gonna get to that. That's okay, like, well, well, things I can tell you, you can't like rain on that parade. All right, all right. No, but I'm telling you, like, there's and so much Luke Howard was getting... a Quaker and he studied clouds. That's the that's the bio. I'm the done. End. The sound well, editor's but, happy. But if you're working with a Quaker, you're only gonna have, listen. They're not living very spicy yeah. lives. Okay, no offense to any Quaker. Look, Henry a Swan, what's her face was boring too, and yeah, okay. Anyway, okay. I I will say I'm actually looking forward to hearing about his science because I wanted to look up that stuff this time and I couldn't. It's so interesting. I'm really excited. So Luke was born on November 28th, 1772 in London. His dad was Robert, who I'm calling Bob. Mm -hmm. Bob was on his second marriage and he and second wife Elizabeth had Luke, among others, presumably because I read he was the eldest child. So, you know, of how many, I don't know. The Howards were Quakers and Bob was a founding member of the Committee of the British and Foreign Bible Society. And Luke would actually later get involved in it, too. Mm. It was founded in 1804. And in the UK, it was primarily concerned with getting affordable Bibles printed in Welsh, Scots, Gaelic, etc., which is kind of interesting. Very cool. I know. I thought that was cool, too. Anyway, it was kind of an interesting rabbit hole. But I feel like printing Bibles in languages that more people can read would be something a Quaker would be down for. So, I mean, it feels like par for the course. Um, And then Bob also worked as a wrought iron and tin manufacturer. Oh, my. Okay. His dad was actually pretty wealthy because he was one of the main dudes who introduced something called the argon lamp to Britain. Do you oh my gosh. Is, Maggie? Oh, yes, okay. I do. I have heard. Yes, I absolutely do. Tell us about it. Okay. I did not know what that was. And I don't know if that's even how you pronounce it. If it it's is French. It's probably not argon. So it's probably argon. Anyway, oh. it isn't important really, but it was a special new type of oil lamp that was apparently like as bright as six to eight candles. Ooh. Yes. And also the lamp required less wick trimming than other oil lamps because of the way the combustion of the candle wick was used up or something Mm -hmm. i don't know anyway thanks to bob luke is born into well he's not he's not a pavo he's not a pavo one of my favorite new people on instagram would talk i know i know we both follow him and he's hilarious but yes no he's he is not a pavo yeah So Bob and Liz send him off to Burford, Oxfordshire, to attend a Quaker school from 1780 to 1788, where he learned a lot of Latin and maybe not a lot of other stuff because he wrote, quote, I acquired more Latin than I have since been able to forget and was so little prepared for mathematics. My pretensions as a man of science are consequently but slender. Aww. 
Just tuck, tuck that in your satchel, though. It'll be important, I think, that he knew a lot of Latin. Super important. Pretty sure that's pretty much central deal. to my my dis- discussion on yeah. science. So yeah. you know, thanks to that Quaker school for all that Latin. I guess I think it, okay. it's important. It's it's a good thing. Yes, they did a good job. All right. After he finished school, he went back to London and set up a meteorological station in his garden. So also just like put that in your satchel because I'm not really talking about it. just he set it up. He's got this weather station in his garden, okay? It's a thing. But then he was off to Cheshire as he was going to be an apprentice to a chemist named Olive Sims. Chemist in this context means a pharmacist, like they called them. A druggist. A pharmacist. Okay. So the apprenticeship lasted for six or seven years because I read conflicting. One place said six, one said seven. But by 1794, he is definitely back in London and he joined a firm of druggists in Bishopsgate. Nice. And I went down I went down a rabbit hole about Bishopsgate too. One, because there just like was not a ton of like information about Luke. So I just needed fun rabbit holes to go down. Yeah, sure. But also I'm not a Londoner. So like to me saying Bishopsgate doesn't really mean much. Yeah. Nothing. Right. Like a Londoner, if you said, oh, Bishopsgate versus like Piccadilly or, you know, I mean, some of like you probably know Soho and Piccadilly, like some of those but Bishopsgate means nothing. Mm. Anyway. Fun fact about Bishopsgate is that the original Bedlam was in Bishopsgate. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. Interesting fact, yes. Yeah. Um, which also I didn't know, like, there's more than one Bedlam? Yes. Question mark? Oh, okay. Well, so see, I didn't know that. So the original one was in Bishopsgate. Yes. We might actually talk about that at some point because there's some, be- there's some-, there's some badassery around that whole thing. So... Yeah. Around insane people or bedlam? About caring for the mentally ill. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And and was bedlam actually caring for them? You know. Like, I don't think so. Okay. Probably going to be a, a lot BS of... episode. So, I mean, we'll yeah, okay. yeah. All right. All right. Maybe a BS episode. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, one source I read doesn't mention that at all. It just says he set up his own pharmacy on Fleet Street, which is probably much more famous than Bishopsgate because Fleet Street like Sweeney Todd anyone I was gonna say the demon barber of Fleet Street that one were they neighbors (laughs) yeah um but anyway I did look up more about Fleet Street but you know Google Fleet Street if you're interested but that's probably just an area that people have heard of anyway now one source I read mentioned quote an accident resulting in enforced inactivity during which he apparently studied pollen which he later presented as a paper to the Linnaean Society. What? I don't know. It was like this really random, I can't even remember now what source it was in. I mean, I have all my sources, but I don't remember which one. It was like this really random, like, well, he couldn't do anything, so he just studied pollen or something. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. He was, I feel like he was just kind of a (laughs) head in the clouds kind of guy, you know? He was. Like, literally and figuratively. So Literally, yes. Um, in 1796, he and other Quaker friends founded the Eskizian Society, and the name came from a Greek word meaning practice, because the point of the club was to engage in debate, work on self-improvement, and encourage research and education. Okay. And they were actually required, like, they paid a fine if they didn't. Uh, they were required to present papers and then discuss them. Okay, I like this. You know, I mean... I like that. Maybe if more people had to actually read and engage their brain to debate properly, there would... Anyway. It would be a different world. We can say that. It would be a different world. So, in 1796, Luke got married 
Yay. Yay. His wife was, you know, it looks like Maria Bella. I don't know if it's Maria Bella. It's probably Marabella. I love this name. It's probably Marabella. Yeah. But it's got an A. It's like Maria Bella. Anyway. Okay. But Greenwich has a W. Oh, I mean, yeah, true. Anyway, Mary Bell, whatever. Elliot was her last name. Anyway, I don't love her name. But she was also from a wealthy family and like probably Quaker and they'd been friends for a long time and all that. The only other things I know about her was she was born in 1769 to John and Mary Elliot. Um, But she is very interesting because she published three books. She published three books? She published three books. They were called Hints on the Improvement of Day Schools, published in 1827. Oh, I'm very interested in reading that one. The Young Servant's Own Book, 1828, and Boy's Own Book, 1850. And I'll mention, I know, that's just like she's kind of a BA. She's publishing, which, I mean, it's not like women weren't publishing at this point. But, I mean, still, like, look, anytime we can be, like, yay, a woman got to do something. It's kind of, you, you know. kind of have to celebrate all of it at this point in time because there was really so little of right. it going At this on. point in time, like today, right? Like, okay. But like back then, we got to celebrate all the things. All the things. So yes. we couldn't even since vote. we're talking, yeah, since we are talking about his personal life, I'll talk about this now, but they had eight children, seven of which survived infancy. And according Whoa. to one of the, I know, I know. I'm going to talk a little bit more about luke luke's kids later but anyway okay according to one of those genealogy websites Mm -hmm. the names of the children so like if you just google like marybella elliot howard or whatever anyway Mm -hmm. they had mary robert elizabeth rachel marybella john oh wait sorry john elliot and joseph so all biblical names except for marybella robert oh yeah okay robert i missed that one and john elliot because and then John Elliot. Oh, I don't know the baby. The baby's name isn't listed, but John Elliot, because her last name was Elliot. But also, yeah. like, every other kid has one name, and then you go make one kid be John Elliot. Like, seriously? I, I just, anyway. I mean, maybe they were running out of choices because he was far down the list. Yeah, maybe. Um, she would live to be 82. She died in 1852. Um, and I found a picture of Luke and Mariabella's headstone, and they're buried together. So oh, that's nice. We'll post. We that. haven't gotten to his death, but that's just kind of his family life because I won't really talk about his family from here on out, essentially, yeah. except for at the end, I have some fun facts about some of his children. Yay! Okay, uh, grandchildren, great grand. Anyway, we'll get. To- okay. It's in the legacy section. It's a legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get. There. Okay, so 1798. He's in business with a Quaker named William Allen. Okay. Will owned a pharmacy in London, but he had a laboratory in Plaistow. Essex. You're right. Don't know much about Essex, but you know. Um, Will and Luke had met because they both attended public science lectures, like the first TED Talks, I guess. I don't know. You know, they used to have talks. Yeah. 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 But Luke is off to Essex, which is, it is east of London. I do know that um, to work, but he's commuting there from London, apparently, Mm -hmm. which gives him plenty of time to just stare up at the sky from his coach, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Just carriage, whatever. Know, Conveyance. Carriage, whatever. Yeah. They didn't have trains then, right? No. Four trains? Yeah, well, four trains. Okay. It was. It yeah, was. It was. Anyway, 
After seven years of working with Will, Luke decides to move the lab to Stratford, which Yay! is near and dear to my heart for so many reasons. Yes. I have been to Stratford-upon-Avon in England, and it was quite lovely. Yeah. Um, he basically starts running his own chemical supply company, and he was servicing both industry and pharmacies. So oh. kind of like, uh, just, you need dr- chemicals for your drugs, you need chemicals for your factory. Like, I got them. Nice. I also read that he supplied ether to his buddy, John Dalton. Oh. Also a Quaker, which I didn't know. Did you know John Dalton was a Quaker? No, I didn't know that. That's what one of my sources said. I did not fact check that. I probably should. Well, he's on but our like, list. As in like the Dalton. Yes. Like as in like the Dalton. Dalton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we will be covering him. So. So I guess we'll find out for sure if he's a Quaker. You can check in the meantime. But anyway, I didn't know that. Okay. So. Remember how he had set up his own weather station at home? Yes. He gets super big into that. Yeah. Like super big. So big that y'all have learned things about weather that like Maggie's going to tell us all about it. Yeah. Yes. He became a big deal in meteorology though. And in 1821, he was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society in London, which was, as I believe we have mentioned this before, a big deal. Huge deal. Huge deal. Yeah. Big deal super big deal so besides working uh on you know meteorology interestingly luke didn't really ever do anything with chemistry despite that being his like he did this supply stuff but like it just wasn't his passion i don't yeah. think like it, actual chemistry and drugs for sure chemistry was not his passion i that was I not his passion 100 sure it was not it was a job yeah. it paid the bills yeah, it was something to pay the bills, and then he did his other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Luke was apparently not just a Quaker, but like a really like diehard Quaker. He like, was like into it, yeah, for sure, like super Quaker. That's a that's a new that's thing. thing. You could just be, you could be Quaker, but yeah. you could also be super super Quaker. Quaker. Okay, perfect. You want to be super Quaker, and that um, was him. But he wrote so uh, again in his spare time when he wasn't doing his weather stuff and when he wasn't working his job. He wrote religious tracts about the Quaker life, and he became a minister in 1815. Oh, nice. And he also ends up on the committee for the British and Foreign Bible Society, like that Bob started out with, whatever. Um, So he was involved in that, and he was involved in other programs that related to improving society. He was big in the anti-slave trade movement. Yay. Um, He he wanted, yeah, I know. Thank you. He wanted to raise money for Germany after Napoleon was defeated at Leipzig. Mm-hmm. Um, he traveled to meet Quakers in Germany too, because I guess there were a lot of Quakers in Germany, which oh, I didn't. Yeah, okay. I didn't. I don't think I connected that. Oh, but of course they would have been, because when William Penn was settling Pennsylvania, the language that all the Pennsylvania Dutch started oh, yeah. speaking is German. Yeah. So they're, they're like, yeah. it, I feel like it's convoluted, yeah, but yeah. now it's making it's, sense. To yeah. Me. It does make sense. So he would like travel there to kind of help them out. So um, then he started doing some dicey stuff. Oh, really? I'll tell. Yeah. Well, he ended up out of the BFBS, the British Foreign Bible Society and the Society of Friends. So first, I mean, because he was super Quaker, but I guess the super Quakers didn't like it. Anyway, he got into an argument about the Apocrypha. Oh, um, he translated some apocryphal books into English from Latin, but I guess in like 1825, he couldn't settle his differences about the issue. So like 
I, I don't know. There's some dispute. It's not, yeah. it's very foggy. I don't really know what was the breaking point, but anyway, he resigned out of the BFB. Oh my, okay. Translation and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. And then in 1835, there was a thing published called A Beacon to the Society of Friends, which basically challenged Quaker thinking and had, quote, an evangelical message. Oh, which no. apparently, well, yes, if you're a super Quaker, I think that's a big no. Yes, that's um, a big but no. apparently Luke decided he agreed with that. So he quit the Quakers in 1836. Oh, my. Yeah. So he joined a new crew. That new crew he joined was apparently known as the Beaconites. And so they still thought Quaker way of life was good. Okay. But also thought maybe accepting the Bible as the revealed word of God, along with baptism and the Lord's Supper, was also a good idea. So he's like Quaker, but not. So, so very much not Quaker. Just Christian at this I point. It, I don't know. It feels like it feels like your run of the mill evangelical Christian, which is you. He can be that. That's sure great. I think that's what happened. But they yeah. liked the Quaker way of life, which I guess like still more like peace. It, it must be a, a more maybe. pacifist approach to evangelical. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's maybe. fine. Maybe all right. Like they're like you know probably still not cool with the crusades you know which to be fair <laughs> i don't know if they were the best were they big boondoggles probably anyway possibly we wow. don't have time just, to get into yes that. everyone that's a hot take from ba and science we have just reduced the crusades all of them to boondoggles and and thank you for thank you for coming to our ted talk please don't at me i am not an expert okay Okay. Well, but you know, um, you're not- look, I've read enough historical fiction that take place during the Crusades, and there's all sorts of anyway, anyway. Not that historical fiction is like always fact, but let's be honest. Like, but I'm just saying, do we need I'm seven of them, and one of them run by children? Probably not, because if they were anything like uh-huh. my children, guys, like like poorly organized, doesn't even begin to describe it. I can tell you for <laughs> sure. <sighs> okay so anyway, anyway so there was some periodical at the time that, that was for Quakers but he wrote for it and he was pushing the Beaconite cause forward mm-hmm. and so anyway this caused him and his buddies then to join the Plymouth Brethren okay which I guess were similar to the Beaconites but anyway it was probably a big deal for him to go out. like he grew up and was like again super quaker Quaker. he was like very super quaker for a long time and then like all of a sudden he's like not even anything related to it and now you know yeah so whatever at some point uh i don't remember when he and his family moved to tottenham but then they also had some fancy schmancy estate in yorkshire because again he's you know got money when he got too old to run his chemical supply store two of his sons robert and uh i think john elliott i believe took over which you know I guess is nice yeah sure I mean you know normally I like when our BAs have some like crazy personal stuff but I just think Luke seemed like a nice and like likable dude you know yeah I like that his family didn't suck and that they all took care of each other yeah after his wife died in 1852 Luke actually lived with Robert um until his death in March on March 21st 1864 he was 91 oh my gosh yeah clean living man yeah. And there is a plaque still today at 7 Bruce Grove, Tottenham, that reads, Luke Howard, 1772 to 1864, namer of clouds, lived and died here. 
And I think that is the perfect point to ask you, Maggie. Say what? He's the namer of clouds. The Tell one us and more. Only. The one After and only namer of clouds. Yes. Let's take a break. And then I will expand on that perfect segue. All right. Okay, Brenna, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's an MCAT test prep program like no other. MCAT prep can be super expensive, but this is prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really want to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how good it is with really excellent concept explanations and visual learning, thousands of practice questions with explanations, and full MCAT practice tests. If you've ever looked into the MCAT, you've probably looked around for complete programs that are made by experts. These courses cost thousands of dollars, which make it super impractical for the average person. MCAT Ladder, though, has over 100 full scholarships available now for both self-paced programs you can start anytime, as well as for intensive and boot camp type programs with dates throughout the year. Right. The whole idea behind Proton Guru and the MCAT Ladder is high-quality MCAT prep that's accessible to more people, not just those who can afford thousands of dollars. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT Ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. So that was a very mild-mannered introduction to a mild-mannered man who was just nice and he did some cool stuff. So why, why does he end up on our BA list? I will tell you why. Namer of clouds is the best way to describe it. He literally came up with the way that we still to this day name clouds. It has not changed in, in any significant way, in small ways, of course, and I will talk about it. But yeah, that was him. It was one guy. And, and here's where the other wild part comes in. I personally had no idea just how big clouds are in terms of popularity. Oh, but wow. Did I get an education while I was researching this episode? Clouds are like, they're like this whole thing. Okay. And I get that. Like if you're a farmer or a sailor, the weather matters a lot. Okay. It's yeah, you like watch the sky and yes, you know. it, it can be the difference between life and death. Like knowing it's going to rain soon can change how a farmer right, decides right. to plant a certain crop. Uh, for sailors, sure. you got to know if like, should I start this ocean voyage today when the tide is right or tomorrow when the tide is right? You know, you know, mm -hmm. the weather has a huge impact on humans and clearly has for much of recorded history. We've always been figuring out ways to predict and or control the weather, which is not easy. Because, you know, varying amounts of success on that one. Right. So before we get into our main discussion on clouds, because that's what I'm going to be talking about today, I want mm -hmm. to at least mention meteorology. We're not going deep into it here because it's probably going to be its own episode, but that'll probably be mom's favorite episode. I was Go just going to say that, but mom will love that episode. Um, meteorology, yeah. which is the ability to scientifically understand the weather didn't really or witchcraft if you're our father i fall somewhere in between i feel like there's a little bit of voodoo involved okay it's a little bit of science you know a mix of both yeah but it didn't okay. really develop as a branch of science like we would recognize it until the 1600s hmm. okay until That's that time, i thought though it is earlier than i thought too because well okay but 
I say resembles what we have today because it's not like they had a Doppler radar. You know, they didn't. That wasn't even a thing no, yet. Sure. Because, but all I can so- think of is that scene in 1776 where Thomas Jefferson licks his finger and then holds it out the window to figure out which direction the wind is blowing. Yeah, that's what I've envisioned for meteorology at the time. A little bit, yeah, because it was it was all natural observation until that time. So, like, yeah. have you have you heard the sky? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So if the sunset is red, that means that the air in the West is dry and dry air will be Mm -hmm. coming. So the sky will be clear. Mm -hmm. Easier to navigate Mm -hmm. if the sky is clear, right? But if the sky is red in the morning, the dry air has passed and storms are on the way and you don't want to be caught in the ocean or in on the sea or anywhere Mm -hmm. in a huge, in a boat, in a huge storm. So there are also rhymes for describing what types of clouds mean, which I did not know until I researched this episode. Apparently, Hmm. the rhyme, mare's tails brings storms and gales, describes, I know, describes wispy clouds that are blown into that shape by changing winds, indicating a storm is coming. Hmm. Have you ever heard... Have you ever heard of mackerel sky, mackerel sky, never long wet, never long dry? No, neither did I. But but I know exactly what it's talking about because it's those clouds that are shaped like scales on a fish. You know, there's like, like fish scale. No. You would know it if you saw it. But if you see those, you're going to have like pop-up showers coming. Do they have a real name? That oh, yeah, we'll get oh, yeah, yeah, might yeah. have assigned them? We're, we're going to get there. Because otherwise I can't Google. I can't Google like fish scale clouds. I need a name. You can. What? All right. I'm currently Googling fish scale clouds. Google fish scale clouds. I I know exactly what will come up because I did. And I'm going to go to images. Yep. Oh. Well, yeah. All right. What about mackerel skies? Never long wet, never long dry. So if you're seeing those clouds, you're going to have pop-up showers. Hmm. But they're going to be short. I'm going to spend way too much time staring at clouds while driving now. This is going to be dangerous. All right, go on. You don't even know how my driving has been affected by my research on this episode. I'm not even kidding you. My whole life has changed. But we'll we'll get there. Okay, okay. Dad's going to be upset if now all three of uh, us in his life are big into meteorology type things. You and me be sitting over here predicting weather on the clouds. Mom be listening to the weatherman, getting all excited about the storms that may or may not happen. Dad's going to get mad. He is. He's not going to be happy. But but there is some science. There's actually some really good science to what Luke did and what Luke figured out. Okay. But here's the problem. Because I you could you could Google um, fish scale clouds and you can Google male, mare's tail clouds. Okay. But what if you've got clouds that look like not a mare's tail? And then you get storms. Well, then, mm. then what? And maybe you think those clouds are looking kind of scaly, but maybe I think they look more cottony. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not exactly definitive or scientific when we're describing clouds in this way. Pretty subjective. Yeah, sure. Okay. So after a huge volcano erupted in Iceland in 1783, uh, people really started to want to study just how and where weather happened. Because hmm. the ash, you know, when you have a volcanic eruption, right. ash goes into the atmosphere. Right. This right, right, eruption right. was so huge that it that it changed the weather worldwide. Oh. Oh. 
Oh, yes. And I think we will actually have to cover this for someone else in another episode, possibly the meteorology episode. There were there are a lot of rabbit holes I had to go down to 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 get where we're going today, but I'm so I'm I'm cutting out a lot. But scientists were going to start to figure out the answers to some big questions during this time because of that eruption. Okay. But Luke witnessed the aftermath of this eruption and how it affected the weather. So he studied weather, as Brenna said, mostly as a hobby throughout his life. But the thing that he really leaned hard into was Luke's clouds. Clouds are a huge part of meteorology. And I did not have any idea how important they were to meteorology or how popular they are. None of that. I had, I was... I was shocked at the abundance of information I found on clouds. Well, while there may not be a bunch of information on Luke, oh, mm -hmm. there is more information on clouds than I ever could get through in a lifetime. Hmm. Okay, so real quick, the science of clouds, because this is, you know, okay. the science part, right? Clouds yes. form, this is this is the water cycle, people. I'm going, I'm taking you back to third grade when you talked about the water. Uh, and like, I can oh, still see no, my- first grade. My almost seven-year-old just told me the, the other day about how the rain would come down and then it would go into the oceans and then it would go back into the sky and make clouds again. Okay, perfect. So very, very basic. And that is, that is the, what that is the water cycle. Perfect. Yeah. First grade. So clouds form when like your oldest said clouds, uh, that moist air begins to rise. Okay. If water is in contact with the air, the air is evaporating it, which means turning it into mm -hmm. a, its gaseous state. Uh, yes. Because you have to heat it to make it vapor, it will rise because yep. warm air is less dense than cool air, so it tends to rise. That's why hot air balloons work, okay? Mm -hmm. So as this air rises, though, the temperature in the surrounding air gets cooler, and the air is unable to hold all the moisture that it started out with. So the extra moisture condenses on dust or whatever other crud is in the air and forms water mm -hmm. droplets. When a bunch of these water droplets hang out together, you get a cloud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you go up even higher, those water droplets will freeze, and now you've got icy oh. clouds. Wait, you can have icy clouds? Oh yes, we'll talk about what those are called later. Oh. Yes, Ooh. I know. I didn't know. I didn't. I don't think I really knew that either, because I mean, it makes sense. But like, I don't know. I don't think about. I don't, just don't, I don't think, think about them. I don't think about it. And oh man, boy, is that some, that is a mistake that I will never make again. And now, oh, I can't wait to tell you guys why. Okay. So what you need to know is that clouds are not made of a gas. They are made of liquid water or ice. Okay. Super basic tutorial on what a cloud is and how it forms, but that's, that's what you need to know. Okay. So Luke, if you'll recall, vibing in the very late 1700s, early 1800s, to this point in history, clouds do not have names. So they're hard to describe. Scientists, Luke included, did a lot of paintings on them, but that wasn't ideal for telling people a cloud that looks like X will do such and such a thing. As Brenna mentioned, mm -hmm. Luke was a member of the Eskesian Society, and it was while he was part of this club that he was able to turn his hobby for weather watching into something a little bit more. Okay. But before we can discuss Luke's methods, we need to bring up that thing that Brenna had you put in your satchel about Latin. We need to discuss binomial nomenclature. Ooh. It's huge in biology for you biology lovers out there. Um, it's also huge in cartoons because if you've ever been watching a Looney Tunes cartoon with Roadrunner and Coyote, you have seen across the bottom flash 
a little in parentheses, silly looking fake Latin kind of sounding name yeah. for the roadrunner or the coyote. Okay. Right. That is binomial nomenclature. A dude named Linnaeus, who was, you know, what the Linnaean society was named after, right. revolutionized biological classification by coming up with a way to classify living things using Latin names. And the way that we talk Which, about- as we've discussed, I have two thumbs down for, but yes. Yes, I understand. But, and we will be covering Carl at some point. So I'm not going to tell you oh, anything boy. about that now. But- okay. What happens in bite with binomial nomenclature is that we refer to a species of something as its, um, let me think, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, genus, and species names, the last two yeah. in the classification, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So this method of using two Latin names to name stuff was ultimately what Luke would use to classify clouds. And it was likely all okay. of those Latin lessons that got him there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So again, anybody who's ever taken grammar school or elementary school science has knows all of the things, all of the high points that I'm going to tell you. You don't remember it maybe, but it's in there because everybody talks about this. I mean, we don't talk about economics, but boy, do we do a deep dive into clouds in American education. I don't know why, but we all do. We also learn the recorder and how to folk dance. So I have a lot of questions about all of that, but this cloud thing is actually- I was one of the stars of the carry dance one year do you remember that i do remember that but yeah. can you also imagine writing a banger that slaps so hard that nobody ever ever even tries to write another song about hot cross hot cross buns for the rest <laughs> of human history just like these are these are things that i find on the internet that i have to agree with okay what's nuts is that my older one will come home from first grade and she'll start singing a song and it's, she, and I'm like, I'll start singing along. She goes, mommy, you know that song? I'm like, yes, because we've all been learning the same songs in elementary school for, I don't know, decades and decades. And clearly like, since at yeah. least the 1950s. Like, yes, of course I know these same songs that you're singing because of course I learned them too. Anyway. Yes. So we all do actually have a pretty good basic and working knowledge of clouds, because if I said cumulus cloud to somebody, they would know yeah. exactly what I was and talking like about. Nimbus and cumulonimbus and cirrus, and that's about the only three I can remember. Okay, that's good. That's a really good basis. Okay, in Luke's original system, there are three names. I feel like a good basis. It is, it is, though. Could you'll see, oh, you'll okay. see. In Luke's original system, there are three main shapes of clouds, cirrus, okay. cumulus, okay. And stratus. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, stratus. Stratus, okay. Now, cirrus means curl of hair. So Luke, I'm, and I'm using Luke's own descriptions. These are quotes from Luke himself. So Luke describes okay. cirrus clouds thusly, quote, parallel flexus or diverging fibers extensible by increase in any or all directions. So you've got these, it's wispy, very wispy, okay. Are these like the horsetail thingies? Mm, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Okay. okay. Cumulus clouds, cumulus means heap. Okay. So Luke said, quote, convex or conical heaps increasing upward from a horizontal base. So you've got a flat bottom with a pile of clouds on top. Yeah. The big, the big puffy ones. Yeah. Okay. Stratus means layer. And Luke said that this was, quote, a widely extended continuous horizontal sheet increasing from below upward. Okay. okay. Now, 
The cool thing about his system, because he recognized this, is that you can and should combine these main types to get your other types of clouds. So you combine the cirrus and the cumulus. So you get cirrocumulus or cirrostratus or cumulostratus and cumulocirrostratus when you put them all three together, okay? That last one actually gets its own name called nimbus, meaning rain. And we'll come back to that one. Yeah, I remember nimbus. Yeah, well, cumulocirrostratus clouds are now what we call cumulonimbus clouds. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So his naming system was awesome, but the French wanted to fight about it. Why? Because they weren't French names? Yeah. Okay. So remember in our first episode, I know it's, it's the French scientists because the, actually there's another episode this season where the French are going to be a bit like, guys, can you just let this one go? Okay. So remember how the French and English were fighting about the shape of the earth in their first episode? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're going to fight about naming systems for cloud too. Cause a guy named everything. I, mm, I know. A guy named Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, who is also probably a BA, who will talk, who will probably talk about, he had made up his I saw own. his name pop up. Yes. Well, he had made up his own system for classifying clouds. Honestly, oh. the main, yeah. Well, the main problem with his names was that they were in French. Not everybody mm-hmm. knew French. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knew English, but lots of people knew Latin because kind of everybody had True. to take it, you know, like you just well, knew it. Well, the educated would know. Yes. If you were bougie and educated, then you knew some <laughs> Latin. If you were and Pavo, the, you didn't. Well, if you're Pavo, you didn't. But languages like Spanish and Italian, you know, the languages that make a heavy use of Latin would right, also romance have- an, languages. Exactly. Right. Would have an easier time- Which under- French is a romance language. So French should, French should just chill out. Sorry. Just get I know, annoyed with French. I, it's okay. Different. It's Okay. Sorry. Because, because here's the thing, Luke, Luke presented his paper on the cloud names to the Eschesian Society and they were like, dude, you have something here though. This is like, this is really good. Like all the stuff we do is really good, but this one, this is actually kind of important. Mm-hmm. So he published a paper, this, this paper on his naming system for clouds in the, the publication called Philosophical Magazine in 1803. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so simply because Latin was going to be easier than French, mm-hmm. his ideas gained more popularity huh. and they were okay. easier to lose. And and like, because again, in America, people in America knew Latin, so mm-hmm. they could get behind it. Sure. So that's in the Western world, that's kind of how it gained its popularity. Okay. People still wanted to argue about the whole thing, though. Luke had just made a big statement when he said that all clouds could be sorted into just seven groups. Mm. that's that's a hot take for the time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there were lots of other people that said that that wasn't enough that there were way more than that Uh, fortunately again for every third grader who has done this ridiculously deep dive into clouds Mm -hmm. there was this thing called an international meteorological conference in paris in 1896 yes their major aim was to standardize communication of weather data um, which will include some stuff about clouds, as we will see. Mm-hmm. Turns out that 1896 was called the International Year of Clouds. Like, seriously? Oh. Yeah. I found a very cool article that was published in October of 1896, right after the conference, that talked about all the stuff they did at this conference. And basically, oh. it reads like the minutes of a meeting. Mm-hmm. So one thing they did was to standardize the symbols used for storms. Like, you know how when you look at a weather map and you see a big T on it and it means thunderstorm? No. 
It's a T? Uh-huh. I've never seen a T on a map. Well, you see like the little picture. Before that picture came the T. Back I mean, in the old days? Yeah, I mean, thunderstorm. If there if there was like back a in the nineteen hundreds. Yes, they standardized <laughs> the symbol for a storm was T. So if you were gonna, if there was a storm, do in this you place, personally remember things being that way on a weather map, where there was like a T? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what to tell you, except I know, like I know, like when I looked this up, it was like, oh yeah, huh? Okay, just just sit with that for a little bit just just uh, clearly it's a core memory for me I don't know what to tell you like I I mean guys I'm just wondering like can anyone out there who you you know is maybe slightly older than me can you tell me when we made the switch from T's to like the little pictures of like the little lightning bolt because like that's what I feel like I have always seen but did I see T's when I was younger I don't know I don't know. I, really I don't like saying, Mom, can you please clarify this for me? Because it's going to bother me. I, like somebody I, told me when we started using pictures on weather maps, because uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Anyway. Either way, that whole system was standardized at this conference in 1896. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, also super fun at this conference was the subcommittee on clouds. And I'm so glad Mm. it was called that because it's really cute. Like, yes, I was a part of the subcommittee on clouds. Mm -hmm. So they met and they proposed some new norms for cloud observation. So this, like this new cloud committee was kind of like, was formed at this conference. And it was made up of people who had just published something called the International Cloud Atlas. Mm. A cloud atlas, first of all, is amazing. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a book. A book full of pictures of clouds and their yeah, names. That you would cool. use to train. It's what you would use to train meteorologists on identifying clouds. Mm. Later, when human flight was a thing, cloud atlases were pretty important, as you can imagine, because you don't want to fly into a thunderhead. And if you don't know what one looks like, it's a problem. Would our grandfather have had to study a cloud atlas? I am 100% sure that grandpa, who was a pilot, had to know the difference between one cloud and another. I'm 100% sure he did. Mom, tell us. Now Again, I need yes, to know. Mom, we need to know. I don't know if he would have ever told you, but I am, I am, I am 100%. I would be shocked if he did not. I'm telling you. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, or anyone out there who has family members who were if pilots. If you are a pilot. Back in the day, or you, you are a pilot. What, what is, what about, what kind of weather cloud training do you have today? Yeah. Yeah. Today, do you pay attention? I don't know. I don't know. Tell us. I know one person who's a pilot, but I haven't talked to that person in ages. So doubt they're listening to this podcast. So if you listen, tell us. Okay. Okay. So this particular cloud atlas from the late 1800s was pretty important because not only was it the first international cloud atlas, but it included actual color photographs of the clouds in question. Color photography mm-hmm. was brand new. And so what they would actually do is they would take the, the picture and then they would paint a certain part of it blue so you could see the difference, giving you a colored oh. photograph, not a color photograph. Oh. 
a color oh. photograph. Oh, okay, okay. I was yeah. sitting here because, trying to figure out how they had color photographs. In. Well, because color photography was quite literally brand new. Like it was not like it was phenomenally expensive. They couldn't have done all these pictures in color, but you had to have contrast. So they would take pictures of clouds and then color them mm -hmm. and they put them mm -hmm. in this atlas. Okay. And it was a huge deal to have photos versus paintings because again, up until then, people had had to paint clouds. Mm -hmm. And and everyone, every artist is going to interpret the shapes they're seeing differently. But with the picture, mm -hmm. it's re it's recorded on film. No pics didn't happen. Okay. So because listen, you could go on literally any social, like my camera roll has pictures of pretty clouds in it. It's easy for us. My to husband take likes taking pictures of pretty skies. Some of his favorite is, things to do at the beach. It is a thing. It's a huge thing. Go on, go on Facebook right now. I bet you could find at least a million pictures of clouds on any, like anywhere. You can just find them. But back in Luke Howard's time and in, in 1896, when this cloud atlas was published, they had to find a new whole, a new way of photographing in general to figure out how to photograph clouds because clouds move. And back at the time, how long were you going to expose the film to catch a cloud? And it, but then it moved because you can't move when you're taking a picture oh, at yeah. this time. Because right, so a whole new way of photographing had to be devised to take these pictures. So there were there were changes in photography thanks to the the desire to photograph clouds. And because your you your film has to be different and better contrast and all her stuff. So anyway. They figured all that out, took the pictures, published the book, and editions of it are still in print to this day. The 18th? Yes. So we're going to talk about it in the legacy section. So just put that in your satchel, okay? In the 1890s cloud atlas, they decided on 10 types of clouds. Five of them were Luke's original, nam original names. And then there were okay. five more added that were either combinations or revisions of his names. Today... The World Meteorological Organization, located in Switzerland, recognizes the same 10 types to this day, all the way back from 1896 and then 1806 or whatever I said, when Luke came mm -hmm. up with his original. So mostly science doesn't stay unchanged that long. So the fact that yeah. we still have something that has stood the test of time in that way, because it really yeah. was that good. There's your mm. badassery. That's pretty BA, right? Yeah. So here, sure. are, here are what they are today. Okay. Okay. So you've got your way high up clouds, the highest up clouds, cirrus, cirrocumulus, and cirrostratus. Okay. Your middle clouds, altocumulus, altostratus, and nimbostratus. And then your low clouds, which is stratocumulus, stratus, and cumulus. And finally, the cumulonimbus clouds. Those last ones are the la are the ones to watch because they're the thunderheads I was talking about. If you see a cumulonimbus cloud, okay. you're getting thunder, lightning, rain, storms. Okay, but those main types are further down, broken down into like secondary and tertiary types. So there's about a hundred different classifications of clouds, which is wild, and they are mm -hmm. constantly updating and modifying these subclassifications. And there was a new species of cloud that was going to be included in a 2017 edition of the International Cloud Atlas called Voltus, meaning rolled clouds, okay? Ooh, that sounds fancy. It is. And I actually have some more information about, about other special sub 
types of clouds. But anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. So to wrap this all up, I want to go into detail about what kind of weather you can expect with these 10 types of clouds, because like I named them, but like, what do they do? What do they look like? Okay. So yeah. Uh, like, and I, cause I had no idea I could literally talk for hours on just the subject of clouds. And some people do actually lecture for hours. On now, clouds. Do you have your own copy of a cloud atlas yet? We'll talk about it. Okay. We'll okay. So starting with the high clouds, cirrocumulus clouds are relatively rare, rare, and they look like honeycomb and they're made of ice crystals. Those are the ice crystal clouds. Cause they're all the way up at the highest place where you could have clouds in our atmosphere. Okay. And these clouds are not bad weather clouds themselves, but if you're seeing them, storm clouds are probably on the way. Okay. Okay. Cirrostratus clouds are also made of mostly ice crystals, but because of that stratus indication, they don't look like honeycomb. They're spread out in a thin sheet and they're nice day clouds too. Um, And if you see them, a warm front is coming. That's going to bring rain. Okay. Okay. I'm never going to remember all of this. I'm trying to, and I'm never going to remember all this. It's okay. Cause a lot of it is getting stuck in there and I'm looking at clouds now being like, you know what? So it, it'll surprise you how much you will actually retain. Hmm. Okay. 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 So then you've got your run of the mill cirrus clouds and they can be seen any time of the year. And they're those wispy, super white, like blinding white clouds made of ice crystals. Okay. These indicate that a change in the weather is coming. Okay. Some oh. kind of change in the weather. Yes. Okay. It, which is making sense to me because like we've had really, really warm days and then like a 70 degree day and it goes down to 30 degrees. We've been doing a lot mm-hmm. of that lately in my part of the world. And I'm I'm like, serious clouds, man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mi- moving down to the middle clouds, you've got your okay. alto cumulus. They're made of a mix of ice and water and they're usually found in patches called cloudlets. They're like cloudlets. Cloudlets. I yes, I know. They're white. I know. They're white with gray shading. And if you're seeing these clouds, the weather is usually pretty settled. Like these are just like we had some evaporation. Here's a here's a puff of a cloud, like a little cloudlet, you know? Little cloudlet. I know. Altostratus clouds are kind of boring. I hate to I hate to malign any cloud that way, but They're sheets of thin clouds, like so thin you can see the sun through them. Think of a a day that you would call hazy, where the the sky Mm. is hazy. Okay, Mm -hmm, it's probably mm -hmm. pretty muggy out if you're thinking. It can happen at other times too, but um, they don't have any of the fluffy features that other clouds have. And they're like a grayish, bluish, you know? Okay. The reason I said that it's usually warm and muggy when you're seeing them is because these clouds form ahead of a warm front and turn into mm-hmm. nimbostratus clouds, which are the rainy ones. Nimbostratus clouds are dark and gray with no real features. They block out the sun and it's just like persistent rain or snow. If you've got nimbostratus, it is drizzly. So where Luke was, a lot of nimbostratus clouds over in his part of the world. So now the low level clouds are usually the exciting ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're okay. the stratocumulus clouds, which are clumps of cr- clouds that are white or gray. They're the most common clouds on earth. And they've got that flat base with a fluffy top. Right? Mm-hmm. They indicate a change in the weather and they form when stratus clouds break up. So if you've got your stratus clouds going on, they break up mm-hmm. into stratocumulus. Strato- mm-hmm. okay. Speaking of stratus clouds, 
those are the low blankets of clouds that are white or gray and they're very wet. So think of like mist okay. or fog. And so it's not going to okay. rain really with these clouds, but these are your damp and drizzly day kind of clouds. Okay. 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 Now, cumulus clouds are the other. They're also super common and easy to spot. Fair weather clouds, fluffy and white, puffy tops, flat bottoms. But cumulus clouds can grow into cumulonimbus clouds, which are known mm -hmm. as the king of clouds. Oh. Yes. These are the only clouds that produce lightning, thunder, and hail. The base is flat Ooh. and they extend into the sky in towers or plumes. So if you've seen a thunderhead, you know exactly what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Okay. If you're having extreme weather, tornadoes, torrential rains, etc., you're dealing with cumulonimbus clouds. Hmm. The good news is that these clouds dissipate within an hour once the rain starts. Hmm. So if you're wondering why we don't have 12 hours of solid tornadoes from the same cloud formations, we can't because those clouds only last for about an hour, right? And they're not standing still. They're always moving because the earth is always moving. The clouds are constantly changing, okay? Mm -hmm. So anyone has lived through a tornado will understand what I mean by this. So when I say that severe weather with cumulonimbus clouds is relatively short-lived, I know what it feels like for other because my family in, in our area, we have experienced, we have lived through a tornado. It feels like forever, but in terms of weather, it's actually relatively brief. Uh, but hmm. again, that's how they're defined. So relatively. So mm -hmm. that is how we define and classify clouds today. And as you can see, the overwhelming majority of it started with Luke Howard's system. This guy's work is, as I said, some of the rare science that has not changed much since its inception, whereas most other science gets updated pretty regularly. But that does not mean that, like the clouds themselves, cloud science is immutable. So mm -hmm. let's take a break and discuss Luke's cloudy legacy, because I apparently both of us have some very fun things to talk about in our legacy section. So here's another BA with a clear and important legacy, right? I mean, I think, I think it's pretty obvious what his legacy is. Is he a BA? Yeah. I, I mean, I think he is, even though he was a Quaker and very nice, apparently mild mannered human being. I think he's a BA. Although I don't know if you get yourself kicked out of the Quakers. Yeah. I well, mean, you quit or they kicked it. I don't know. Did he quit or did he, or was he fired or did he resign? I don't know. Hard to say. That's a lot of cloudiness. It there. is. It's cloudy. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, he totally was BA. I mean, I feel like that's pretty straightforward. I, like I said, I like them to be spicier normally and have like some kind of tea. But for some reason, I just feel like Luke Howard feels like a very quintessentially British dude like you know just way. like yep like a just a nice guy who just wants to talk about the class like I just I feel like I would have loved to meet him I feel like he just would have been just pleasant it just would have been pleasant to be in his company you know yes, what I mean I absolutely yes so I dig him but I was going to talk about um several of his descendants were kind of a big deal too okay so there's um, a guy named Thomas Hodgkin who was a historian which I think that is his grandson. 
Okay. And then Paul Waterhouse was an architect and he was a big deal in his time. Paul I know that name for sure. Okay. Well, that was, I think, his great-grandchild. I think it was a great-grandchild. Okay. Um, and then there was a woman named Marjorie Fry, who was a prison reformer and one of the first women to be a magistrate. She's my deal. These are big deal people. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, again, I was just trying to find stuff about his life because there wasn't a lot. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, you find a couple of these people and you can find out they did this, that, or yeah. the other, it's like, oh, this is very interesting. So yeah. yeah. So he has a scientific uh, legacy and a personal legacy in his, you know. Grandsons and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever, went on yeah. to do stuff too i love that yeah that's what i got well i i went down the most amazing rabbit hole i've ever gone down which is saying something because we go down a lot of them on this show okay clouds are basically okay if anybody watched your new favorite thing kind of yeah but like did anybody watch that i don't i think it was a super bowl commercial in 20 you know a few weeks ago in 2023 super bowl where they're talking about how stop calling people in business a rock star because they're not. I don't know if, if you haven't seen that commercial, you should see it because it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, that one, I didn't watch most of the Super Bowl or the commercials, but that one I vaguely remember seeing. Okay. It might've been around the halftime show because I kind of paid attention around it, halftime. It might've it been. Okay, but anyway. I'm, I'm serious when I say this. Clouds are the rock stars of the meteorology world. Luke was clearly not the only one who recognized how much clouds can tell us about the weather and how cool they are and like i know i've said this before luke's classification scheme is still used today and it was and it was because of the first international cloud atlas in the 1890s now i told you that it was still published today this cloud atlas okay Mm -hmm. so as i mentioned before the first cloud atlas made use of colored photography and some paintings they had like a mix Okay. Okay. Luckily for the meteorologists of the time, a guy named Ralph Abercrombie had figured out that clouds are the same no matter where you are on Earth. So if you're looking at a what we would call a cumulus cloud in London or South America, it's the same as what you would call a cumulus cloud in Africa or Russia, no matter where it is on the point of the naming system. Yes, but they weren't in Africa. They didn't go to Africa before they picked the naming system. Did Luke Howard go to Africa? Did he know oh, what I was like in okay. Africa? Yes. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Got it. Okay. So standardizing became easier. Okay. So initially, the Cloud Atlas was published in English, French, and German. But by the time they were doing the 1967 edition, so like 100 years after the first one, it was in those languages, as well as Polish, Norwegian, and Dutch. Mm. Also about that time, they started separating out the pictures from the text, which made it cheaper to print. So the 1975 edition is cool and weird because it was published in two volumes, 12 years apart. Like the text came oh. out first, and then in 1986, oh. the pictures came out. Yeah, very weird. Oh, weird. It, very weird. Seems this, like a dumb way to do it. This was the first time that pictures of clouds from above were included. They were able to go up in an airplane and take pictures of these cloud formations on top of the clouds. This was the first edition that that happened. Probably why it took so much extra time to like 
Mm-hmm. Get all the picks yeah. and yeah. publish them. Yeah. The most recent version from 2017 is available online and it's so cool. I do want to note that there are many cloud atlases, like any book with cloud pictures in it is a cloud atlas, but Mm -hmm. the international cloud atlas that I'm talking about is associated with the World Meteorological Organization and is basically the gold standard. If you want the cloud atlas. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the one you're talking about. And it's yeah. also the most closely aligned with Luke's legacy because it is still using his names. Pretty much everybody still does. I mean, it, that's yeah, what okay. the names are now, you know? Okay, finally. This is the fa- my favorite thing that has happened to me ever since we've ever started researching the show. <laughs> For all of well, you. Well, I don't know. Well, okay, I don't, all right, we interview Linus Pauling's grandson. So, I mean. That's true. But I'm not a chemistry person. Okay. That and I mean, and I loved, I loved everything about that. He, Don was so great. Oh my gosh! If you guys haven't listened to the final two episodes of our first season, go back and listen to them because Don is a treasure and a gem. He was hilarious. And Kay was amazing. amazing. Yes, Linus Pauling's daughter-in-law. She just, she, oh, they were amazing. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, for all of you who have a whole file on your camera roll on your phone devoted to the sky and pics of pretty clouds. You must immediately go to the website for the Cloud Appreciation Society, cloudappreciationsociety.org. According to its website, it's the Society for People Who Love the Sky. Okay. There is so much on this website that I had a very hard time paring down what to talk about here, but they've got a cloud of the day. Mm-hmm. They've got a cloud of the day app. You can get an app on your phone where you get a notification every day and it is a picture of a cloud and that's it. Does it tell you which classification name it gets so that you can learn all those names? Sure does. Okay. Yep. So, and like, and it's, it's member sourced. So this is members of the society from around the world, Mm -hmm. snapping pics of pretty clouds and they send them in and then they post the coolest ones. They also have a cloud Mm -hmm. of the month. Okay. Then there's their full gallery, which has got all the cl- all their picks. But there is also cloud video, cloud music, cloud art, cloud poetry, all things inspired by, related to, and about clouds. Okay. Okay. So this past year in 2022, they launched something called the Memory Cloud Atlas. It's this map where people all over the world submitted cloud picks on essentially technically the same day. Cloud Appreciation Day, which is September 16th. Okay. With your submission, you write down how the clouds made you feel, which sounded really silly to me at first. I'm not even going to lie to you. But then I read some of them and it was like, this is beautiful stuff, man. This like, these clouds make me feel feelings and you have put them into words. And this is nice. This is a nice way to spend. I can't, I might like hours, guys. I lost hours of my life on this International Cloud Atlas. I still, I still go oh like periodically. It's like, what's, up? what's going on? I have a, country haven't I looked at in the cloud atlas today I've seen clouds in Peru I've seen clouds Mm -hmm. in Africa I've seen clouds in Russia all on the same day Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean seriously please go to their website and find the atlas and click on the pics I'll we'll post the link in um on Facebook and on Instagram because I saw beauty like I have never seen in places that I'll probably never get to go so like it's awesome 
And no. to tie it all back to RBA, November 28th, 2022 was the 250th anniversary of Luke Howard's birthday. And of course, mm-hmm. the Cloud Appreciation Society gave him his proper to-do. They had Luke Howard Week, where they had a different article or blurb or Ooh. picture every day specifically about Luke and his work. That plaque that you mentioned was one of them. Seriously, I lost several hours of my life poking around the site and I don't even <laughs> I don't even miss those hours. I don't want them back. And I'll probably throw more in that <laughs> in that pail because I, I loved it. But that brings me to the last thing I want to tell you guys. I interviewed someone from the Cloud Appreciation Society. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you anything else about it because it's in a Patreon episode, which I am releasing to later today after this episode if you're if you're listening to this today that it gets released it's nine o'clock on a wednesday i'm releasing that episode later in the day at the same day uh, because then i am going to make it available to all of our listeners eventually mm-hmm. but i want patreon to have it first because yeah guys oh my gosh this man is a gem and a treasure and i adore him it was so fun to talk to him i learned so much about clouds and I'm going to tell you right now that after, because Brenna hasn't heard the interview yet at all. No. So as of this I recording, Brenna has not heard the recording. I'm telling you right now, Brenna, after you hear it, both of us are joining the Cloud Appreciation Society. It is happening. It's happening. All right. I mean, I'm kind of already there, but I mean, you know. Yeah. It's, I'm very excited to hear this interview. So it's really good. And I told him, I told him I only needed to talk to him for 20 or 30 minutes. We have over an hour. We had an hour discussion about about clouds and he knows so much about Luke and it was just the things that he said were really wonderful and it is one of the best hours of my life that I have ever spent doing something like this so I am telling you guys I cannot talk this up enough I have been I have because I did this back over the holidays like I did this Mm -hmm. like early early in January so I have been holding on to this bursting with this information until now Mm. I'm so excited to share it with all of you. So um, it is mostly, it's an hour of this lovely British gentleman, because he's British, because that was Luke Howard, talking about the wonders of clouds. And if you don't love clouds before you listen to it, you'll love them <laughs> afterward. I'm telling you, he is he is a, a missionary evangelist for clouds. Like, I'm telling all you. All right. So anyway, with that, that is all I've got for us today so let's do sources all right um i have just a couple things um i had one from like the oxford dictionary of national biography um there's one called luke howard and his clouds and weather uh and i honestly use wikipedia so didn't have a lot of great sources i don't love using wikipedia as a primary source but i was hard and well i mean i didn't like when I found that genealogy list somewhere, I didn't cite that. So, you know, look them up if you want to find it. But in Wikipedia to find out if that about his grandkids. But the fact that his grandkids or great-grandchildren were even showed up on Wikipedia, to me, is impressive. That's very impressive. I would agree with that. Anyway. Um, yeah, and I use, I use Wikipedia a little bit. But um, for me, it was to get to some of these very difficult-to-find sources. I did have mm-hmm. a couple of books and it was um, compilations of Luke's own writings about various topics. Um, so I got to read some of his his own words oh, that okay. his, he was writing about the things that he liked to write about, clouds and mm-hmm. other stuff. 
So I mm -hmm. had some of that. And then of course the Cloud Appreciation Society website, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. You've got to go. That's pretty much it for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the resource librarian, whatever position that is, is going to endeavor to do better this season <laughs> with providing references to she's you actually, all. She's actually going to post them this year. Because honestly, because if we don't, she might. if we don't, we might have to put her on a performance improvement plan. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> no, I just feel like she got really busy. She said she's going to try to do better. Well, guys, we are approaching, we are approaching our 50th episode. I think next week okay. is our 50th episode. Okay. Well, because wow. our first, our first season had 10 and this is our fifth season. So, but we had more than 10 in the other ones, didn't we? We had 12. Are you sure we have? Oh yeah. We're only in the, wait. Oh yeah. 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 the okay. beginning of the, the season. Yeah. Started the fifth. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think our 50th right. episode is is next week. So well, we better be sure of that and make a big deal about it. Oh, absolutely. We well, go, do you want to start making a big deal out of it now by having a ridiculous teaser? I'm sure you've got one. You always have something ridiculous. Oh, oh man. I do. I do have a great great one. Okay. Well, let's hear it. All right. Well, it is Brawl Week next week, which, which I'm we so know. excited about. Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We're excited for because she always gets extra excited because she always does the actual like brawls, which is always ridiculous. Yes. So, and I've got a super punny joke for you as the teaser oh, today. Geez. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, do you want to hear a joke about a germ? Never mind. I don't want to spread it. I quit. I'm done. Like, I want to take off my microphone. I want to shut my computer. Oh, my God. You're laughing a little bit. It was funny. It was funny. I and I'm laughing because you are... I did, Google, I did Google the internet for that. But... Well, you are so tickled by it. That's also what's funny. But yes, that's a good teaser because we will be talking about germs and the spreading thereof next week in our blog. Yeah. Well, you know. That's not the only time this season we're going to talk about either. So, you know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be an adventure. So, like I said, I, I told you guys, like in the teaser, we said we got some interconnected uh, episodes this season. So, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, well, I think that's all we've got then for today. I think we checked all our boxes. Yep. Do you have anything else? Nope, I don't either. So, until next time, live dangerously, do science. <laughs>